And this year we hear the Palm Sunday story from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 19. Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and when he'd come to Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on earth and glory in highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus responded, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And then our second gospel lesson is the next event that happens during Holy Week. There's no time signature in the Gospel of Luke, but I think he means for us to understand that this occurs on Monday of Holy Week. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So a bunch of us have been to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Legend has it that the church was built on the sites of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Golgotha and Garden. Constantine's mother, Helena, built the church in the year 326, which means that parts of the church, including the wooden entrance doors, are 1,694 years old. Ordinarily teeming with Christian pilgrims all the time from every nation, today the church is silent as a tomb. Forgive the pun. Do you know when the last time the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was closed indefinitely? It was the year 1349 because of the Black Plague. Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday when Jesus entered the holy city was a very different place from Jerusalem today. The whole city would have been crawling with Jewish pilgrims from the surrounding countryside and from the far-flung diaspora, Spain to Damascus. What's the opposite of social distancing? Jerusalem at Passover. For months now, this modest peasant from Nazareth has been energizing the disconsolate Jewish imagination. He feeds the hungry masses from his own meager store. There are rumors that at his touch blind men see and lame beggars walk. 
Even the unspeakable demons of the deranged flee in terror at his approach. And Jerusalem begins to whisper to itself, is this the one? Is he the Messiah who will set us free and make us whole? And so they throw him the first century version of a ticker tape parade, just like Michigan Avenue on November 4, 2016. Well, maybe on a smaller scale than the Cubs' victory parade. But the same idea. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They shout, peace on earth, glory in highest heaven, echoing the canticle the angels sang in shepherds' fields early in this gospel. Blessed is the king, they shout, and he is the king, but only for a day. Five days later, they will execute him for treason and blasphemy. And of course, it was his own damn fault. The other day, I gave you a Holy Week Bible quiz. What's the first thing Jesus does after he enters the holy city on Palm Sunday? If you saw the splendid production of Jesus Christ Superstar a couple of weeks ago at Nutrier High School, you know the answer to this question. The first thing he does in the holy city is he rampages through the temple like a maniac with a menacing knotted rope of cords, overturning cash registers and making a mess of the inventory of a convenient, helpful, innocent, ancient, spontaneous farmer's market that had popped up on holy days around the temple courtyard for hundreds of years. They sold doves and lambs for the Passover sacrifice. There was a taco truck and a cotton candy stand and a little souvenir stand where you could buy a bronze replica of the temple to put on your desk or whatever the first century equivalents of a taco truck were. You get the point. And Jesus just crashes the whole party. And, of course, this is the event that finally gets him arrested, tried, convicted, and executed. For the Roman authorities, for the Jerusalem authorities, for both of them, this is the last straw. Is this not a bit of an overreaction? Will Williman, once dean of the chapel at Duke University, says, if all you know of Jesus is that he is kind to children and considers the lilies, you've got another thing coming. Cardinal Francis Xavier Nguyen Van Thuan says that during his 13 years in a Vietnamese concentration camp, he fell in love with the defects of Jesus. Not his virtues, but his character flaws, if you will. He was bad at math, he took unnecessary risks, he had impossible dreams and no common sense, and also, as you've just heard, he had a very short fuse. Now for most of us, most of the time, a short fuse is unseemly and unvirtuous. Anger, in fact, is one of the seven deadly sins. But you can see why Cardinal Von Tuan loves Jesus' defects, right? Because there is such a thing as righteous indignation. Righteous indignation is a virtue, not a vice. And you can see why Jesus gets so angry in the temple on Monday of Holy Week, can't you? He just hates it when sacred things are profaned. He hates the defilement of sacred objects. He doesn't want Mardi Gras going on next to the Holy of Holies. 
No shabby beads and plastic necklaces here. Thank you very much, is what he wants to say with that knotted rope. There is such a thing as righteous indignation or virtuous anger. Marriage therapists, after all, keep reminding us that the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is indifference. And so when a married couple comes to me for help with their troubled relationship and they are seething at each other, I'm always a little bit relieved because at least they care. There's still hope. Anger is a passion after all. Anger means you care. Anger means you hope. And if you've never been angry, maybe it means you don't care enough about anything. And so maybe Jesus' short fuse is not a defect at all but a virtue. We should always, all of us, be angry when sacred things are profaned. Last week in Syracuse, New York, a 30-year-old Asian-American man was standing in the checkout line at the grocery store when the man ahead of him turned around and said, it's you people who brought this disease here. But the worst thing about that incident, says that young man, is that not one other customer leapt to his defense. They were all silent. They just stared at him or turned away in embarrassment. And in that situation, the character flaw is not anger, but it's absence. Why would those witnesses not be visibly outraged by this vicious, racist slander? They were not sufficiently offended by the profanation of the sacred. You know what C.S. Lewis says, right? Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest thing presented to your senses. Yes? This was a profanation of a sacred thing. Well, I could go on and on about the place of virtuous anger in the Christian life, but we need to hear about other Christian virtues at a time like this, right? We need the courage of our doctors and nurses who receive ambulance after ambulance after ambulance and treat the ill with deft dexterity and gentle touch and reassuring voice at great risk to themselves. We need the loyalty of truck drivers and Amazon guys and UPS guys and the clerks at Jewel and Whole Foods and Walgreens because they keep the world spinning while the rest of us are sheltering in place. <laughs> we need the thoughtfulness of that high school kid next door who sets provisions on your front porch so that you don't have to venture out in your compromised condition. You never even see him. He just materializes out of thin air like a ghost. He's a porch pirate in reverse. We need the reasoned, commanding authority of Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot. We need the generosity of the federal government who will lift up the penniless and the unemployed and the almost homeless because they don't have the funds to pay the rent. We need the love of a partner or a father or a child who will not, never abandon us to loneliness through a long sleepless night.
We need the wise counsel of our aged matriarchs and patriarchs who have been through this before in the 1930s. It's not going to be easy. Kathy and I like to walk the dog in Ravinia, that charming town a couple of miles north of here. We drive up there and park the car in the center of town, and then we walk to the lake. And every time we make that walk, we walk a bridge across this stunning, impressive ravine that separates the town from the beach. And every time we do that, we're reminded of why they named it Ravinia. And so we walk through town, and we walk past all these useful little shops on the main drag. There's a barber shop and a hair salon. Mom and pop shops, we used to call them, fewer than 10 employees. There's a pub and a brewery and a pizza place. There's a Judaica store, which would be teeming with Jewish families just now, picking up Seder plates and Passover accessories. There's a clothing shop and a jewelry store and a bookstore and a therapist's office. They're all closed and have been for weeks and will be for weeks. And it just breaks your heart because you know that many of them will never open again. They don't have the funds to outlast this thing. And Kathy and I wonder what will happen to all those small business owners and their clusters, tiny clusters of employees. It's not going to be easy, but we have all that we need to come through against all odds, no matter what we've lost, no matter what messes we've made over time, no matter how dark the night, we offer and are offered kindness, soul, light, and food, which create breath and spaciousness, which lead to hope sufficient unto the day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.